Ready or not, here we come. Ready or not, <laughs> here I come. You can't hide. Welcome to the Hub Podcast, a resource for house church leaders to foster and guide healthy house churches toward deep devotion, contagious community, and missional imagination. This is an extension of Common Ground Northeast Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, welcome to the next episode of the Hub Podcast. My name is Sam Lanetti. I am the formation pastor at Common Ground Northeast, and I am here with Eric Bean, lead pastor at Common Ground Northeast. That's right. Hey, if you didn't uh, catch our very first episode, we talked a little bit about what is church? Sometimes a question that people might have, or we've had different expressions of the church that we grew up with or perceptions of it. So we talked a little bit about scripturally what the church was like, uh, what we've perceived it to be and what we're hoping to be. This episode, I hope to dive into what the church is not. And I'm kind of excited to jump into this. What about you, Eric? I mean, yeah, it's always so easy to uh, focus on the things uh, maybe that are negative about the church. Uh, and you can dwell and be very cynical about those things. And I'm sure us, you and I, and those who are listening have probably walked through seasons or or maybe are there now. Um, so I, I love this. I think it'll be good. Uh, it's often easier to come up with more uh, you know, to make a list of negatives than it is to make a list of positives. But um, there's some things I think that are uh, very helpful for us to consider in terms of this is what it should not be because it helps us define what it should be based on those things. So it should be given. For sure. For sure. And just out of clarity's sake, um, this is a conversation that we have often and it's not to nitpick. It's not to put down. It's not to, um, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater or anything like that when talking anything, what the church is not. But I, like you said, I think it's healthy for us um, in the spirit of wanting to push and, and, and to see what God's intention of church is come to fruition. And in order to do that, sometimes we have to let go of what we thought church might have been that maybe shouldn't be. Does that make sense? I think it does. I don't know if our <laughs> listeners, but well, I let's, think it was clear. Let's, uh, let's start here then. Um, let's do a little exegesis, big term for, let's just explore what this means, um, about maybe the current state of our church. Um, what do we our see? What's common ground Northeast or the church at large? Hmm, good question. Let's do, let's do the church at large and maybe just share a little bit of our background of, uh, maybe what you grew up knowing about church. Oh, okay. Well, I don't, I, we may, I mean, that's such a big question sure. trying to figure out what we think about the church at large. So uh, that could probably be its own thing, but, um, or the, you know, if we want to talk about the state of the church in America, that probably has a long answer to it, but let me, let me do the second part that you mentioned first here. Uh, I did not grow up in a church context and um, my first encounter with a church uh, was first Baptist church of Bullhead city, Arizona. And it was um, the the middle class of a low, I would say, an under-resourced city in general, uh, but it would still be the middle class of that context. 
and um, an all-white congregation, fairly conservative. Um, although I did not know the, what that even meant at the time, let alone, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what that would have even meant in those, in those moments. Um, but looking back now, I can think about some things that were fairly conservative about them. Although I could not tell you anything about really their theology as I understand it now. So that was kind of my first in introduction, um, small church, went to camp. I learned a lot, um, but I also felt like there were moments as I was reading the Bible that seemed not to match up with what they were doing and living. And by that, I don't mean like they were hypocritical. I mean, they didn't even understand some of it. And partly I'm recognizing now is because of the the lack of proximity to marginalization and the level to which the Bible is speaking to marginalized people groups. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, you, you almost have to teach yourself how to read the scriptures and think through a lens that is not your own if you don't come from any kind of uh, context like that. So um, anyways, coming from an under-resourced you know, trailer park, I felt like there was a lot of things coming alive for me. Uh, then I went to a, a small, uh, another small church similar um, and then went to a college uh, where, uh, where I was required to do a, it was a Christian college. So I was required to do a Christian ministry as a part of that uh, volunteer somewhere. And so I started helping out with the youth group and he was teaching me how to lead worship or play guitar. He was, he was teaching me how to lead worship, but I really didn't care. I was just trying to play guitar to swoon the ladies. <laughs> how did that work uh, for you? <laughs> it was not a good idea. So Anyways, yeah, and then uh, did some church planning and other things, um, which I would say open open that up. But uh, we we helped to start a um, a house church network in New Orleans that we called Element Nola, and it was a group of house churches that met weekly, and then each leader was considered an elder, and then once a month we would come together for a large group gathering. So that would be an alternative experience that I had um, in terms of of. Uh, you know, how churches express themselves. So hmm. anyways, I'll hand it off to you. What about you? What was your experience growing up with church? I grew up in a very um, conservative, sheltered, small town country boys, how I grew up, uh, Jasper, Indiana, and uh, heavily Roman German Catholic. And so um, if you went to church, that means you went to mass. And if you didn't go to mass, you went somewhere else, then it didn't count. Um, but grew up very, I mean, it was very traditional. Uh, if you grew up in any type of, um, you know, very liturgical type of expression of the church, then it was, man, it almost felt rigid at times with the structure. Um, but one thing that I gained from it was a, an extreme sense of honor and respect towards God in so much that even though now that I think back, I did not have a relationship with a living God, I had at the very least a fearful respect for him to where I did what he said anyway. And so there are pieces of that that I appreciate. There are other pieces of that that I realize actually maybe hindered or marred uh, the potential of my relationship for what uh, a loving God is. So there's been, you know, as I've grown older, I've learned good and bad from some of that upbringing and appreciate some more than others. Um, but I would say in that uh, I had an experience through an expression of faith through young life, which is a um, 
an outreach, a high school outreach organization, mission organization. And um, it was there that I experienced something way different. It was a, a community, a culture that was loving, that was freeing, that was empowering. And I never experienced that in the church that I mm-hmm. grew up in. And so it was from that where I started to see almost this double-edged sword or dichotomy between the organized church, as I call it, and um, some of these other expressions, such as Young Life or other things that I was a part of, and they didn't always line up. There was Mm -hmm. some of these disciplines and things you, you do because you're supposed to, and then I saw these expressions that were alive and um, and moving and, and more fluid. And that was attractive. And so for a while, I would say I, I kind of stopped going to organized church and really sought community within, especially when I went to college, uh, really sought community with other believers. And we started Bible studies and eventually started kind of this network of Bible studies within our Greek uh, fraternities and sororities. And that kind of became our church. Um, we had an interfraternal Bible study that we ended up doing that was grew from eight to like 25 guys across these um, fraternities. And many of them kind of like what I think what you shared, you said uh, with the house church stuff, each one of the leaders was an elder and they met it kind of became a little bit of our interfraternal Bible study where all the leaders of the other, you know, fraternity Bible studies gathered weekly, but they brought more people. And so Hmm. that was a very real expression for me. And I think what really turned uh, my perspective was uh, I had an experience working at a summer camp and it was urban inner city camp. You mentioned kind of like a marginalized uh, people group. Um, Mm -hmm. It was my first time being a minority because I went to this camp that was predominantly black, urban, inner city and Latino kids and leaders. And uh, it rocked me in a different way. But I would say one thing that rocked me the most was the authenticity of community, the way that they shared truth and love with one another. And they only knew each other for 11 days (laughs) before we jumped into running camp. And so it was a whole different type of atmosphere. And I remember telling God at that point, if this is what you had in mind, when you talked about church, I'm in. And so even beyond that, I still feel like I had this kind of dual perspective of what I saw in church, uh, even in some more, um, I think evangelical circles of like more live worship and a little more, I would say maybe relaxed settings that was cool, mm. yeah, but I informal. still, yeah, informal, but I still had this dichotomy of that's still formalities. You're still like talking, you know, when you introduce yourself, like, Hey, how's it going? It's like the surface level stuff, but where in these other circles that I found myself in when doing life on life with them, it was deep, it was rich, it was encouraging and it was transformational. And so I lived, I think with that for a while until, um, you know, honestly, going through seminary and, and um, working at a couple of churches and seeing some good, but still feeling that tension and, um, you know, kind of landed me here at Common Ground where um, at least I feel like we're, we're trying to maybe reclaim some of the essence of what church um, 
is and should be. And so that's a little bit about my story and background with church. That's great. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, one of the times when my paradigm for what I thought church was got kind of blown up was reading a book called The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. And um, ex in terms of expressions, I don't, I don't know who, you know, in terms of who is listening, what, you know, you, you have built this unconscious paradigm of what something is. And then all of a sudden a different idea gets brought into it and a paradigm shift takes place. Um, I remember, you know, just, just being in the throes of creating services. I was the youth pastor and the worship pastor at this um, church in New Orleans when we went out there uh, it, just after Katrina and setting up and tearing down in a movie theater. And, and I was still trying to create this sense of, um, you know, three, three songs and, 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 and kind of whether it was a good service or, or church service, it all depended on how well I could put those things together, how tight I can make the transitions, how well I could keep it polished and, and execute the songs and make sure that our pastor had his cue right and would come on and he would do his thing right. And so, um, you know, as far as my paradigm up to that point, it was, it was um, and that's, that's what I've been discipled to believe, right? It's not even like I was just unaware. It's just that is the context of what churches is in our culture. And I remember seeing a part in his book where he describes, you know, they're all just post-Constantinian models of church or Catholic light, if you, if you will. Um, and so Constantine being, you know, the emperor who, who married the church with the state uh, and then sanctioned it and then, it, you know, then had some control over it, but then began to create what, what is tradition to us now. He created a lot of the paradigms of how we you know, what we believe is an order of service and what we believe in terms of using a building or not using a building. Um, and in a lot of ways, I would say that was not helpful for the church. It stole the organicness of church out from underneath us. And so now we're trying to reclaim that. But there was a point where in the book, there's a picture and said, you know, there's some tr traditional churches that have pews and straight lines and they all look forward. And then there's, um, you know, a, a contemporary church, which has, you know, a half circle, a horseshoe type of shape. And in that moment, I, I was trying to get us to do a horseshoe <laughs> circle shape, thinking like, this is really going to change some things up. And I do think atmosphere is important. I think that those are tools you can use, but I was definitely overplaying my hand because he really just boiled it down to that's just a different version of the same kind of church. And so he had one, 1.0 1 church 1.0 being um, the earlier church movement. 2.0 is Constantine and beyond because it was so um, uh, logistically, uh, I don't know, I don't know how, how to explain it, but uh, logistically or practically um, built in a way that would accommodate large groups of people organized to see a public speaker. Um, and what it did for me was like, wait a minute, if that's not what you're talking about, you're saying we have to reimagine church in a different way. If that's not what you're talking about, then I don't even know what, what you mean. What, what other way could you do this? So the idea of house church um, was not even, a con it did not even exist in my mind that that would be a church and be considered legitimate as a, as a church body. Mm -hmm. Flipped everything. I mean, our, our whole, yeah. our pastoral staff, our elders, we were all reading this book and it was um, I even remember this really cool moment. We were at a, a conference and our pastor at the time, he was at the table with Alan Hirsch telling him, you know, they were having a conversation. So, he, you know, you get to meet the author and uh, I'm standing next to him looking at a book while he's talking to the author. 
And all of a sudden I hear him say next to me, you're ruining my life. And the pastor said that to Alan Hirsch. And I was kind of, you know, kind of side-eyeing looking like, uh-oh, what is, is uh, you know, <laughs> our pastor's losing it right now. And he just admitted that you're like ruining my life. And Alan was so gracious. He's like, hey, why don't you skip the next session and let's go grab lunch together or coffee or something. And so they just left. And I was just kind of left behind with this book in my hand, standing at his table. Uh, but I remember thinking, wow, that was, I mean, that was cool. This guy was so willing, uh, one, that our pastor was humble enough to admit that he was struggling with this new paradigm of church. And he's, you know, everything he knew about church, everything he'd been taught uh, and gone to school for completely thrown out the door because yeah. of the way this guy was challenging our paradigms. Um, and uh, ultimately is good. That's, you know, if you heard my story, you heard me go directly from Baptist to house church. Uh, that's kind of the in-between. That was the thing that changed it. I started looking into more house church stuff and um, checking out resources that would give me newer uh, expressions of ecclesiology or church, mm -hmm. you know, how we operate as a church. Yeah. I love you brought that book up because I remember when you and I first sat down to have coffee. Um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I brought up that book, Forgotten Ways. Mm -hmm. And um, we had, uh, I had stepped down from my previous position and I was uh, working a couple of different jobs and we just started attending Common Ground and we decided to have coffee and you kind of through the grapevine heard that I used to be a pastor and you're like, what's the deal? So I started to share with you a little bit, but uh, eventually you like started like laughing, going like, man, where are you getting this stuff? Like, what's the deal? And I said, well, <laughs> I started reading this book that I feel like is actually putting to words some of the things that I've been feeling. It's called Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. And you just started laughing like, mm -hmm. And, uh, at, and at this Alan point, we, got you. <laughs> we had not Did talked up to that point, but like this being our first interaction, it was just kind of ironic that, um, yeah, kind of some of the, the fabric of, of church and perceptions of it that had been growing in me that may, I believe God's was kind of pushing on me as well and making me sift through and really wrestle with mm -hmm. that, um, he brought me to you and brought me to common ground at a place that was talking through and wrestling with the same exact things. And so yeah. you said one thing that I thought was really powerful. And I first heard it from the book uh, that we use with some of our house church structure called community by Brad house. Mm -hmm. And in that he, he states that um, in more or less words that the, the good intentions of church, essentially in programming, making programs to meet some of these needs, the good intention of those unfortunately had a negative byproduct of stealing people's Christianity away from them. Hmm. And kind of alluded to what you shared a little bit on, um, we, we create some programs or processes to try to fit needs when actually, if we believe that the church is the people in the body working and, and being kind of those, those pieces to, to meet those needs. If we build a program to do that for them, then they kind of, you know, aren't, aren't functioning oh, yeah. to their full capacity. I almost think of like, um, how, how good do we do now at, um, navigating roads without a GPS on our phone? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we become so used to relying on, um, uh, something that either makes it more efficient or what have you that, 
we're no longer exercising mm-hmm. the muscle that we need to do those things or a calculator yeah. for heaven's sakes yeah, or phone numbers remembering phone numbers google that you know rather than asking questions yeah. and going to somebody yeah. who's an expert on it and similarly uh, i agree with brad house in the fact that we don't really exercise i think to the fullest extent um our faith muscle or our missional muscle or even just the the muscles that make us the church does that make mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. yeah i mean one of the big challenges to church and one of the reasons we we rely on house church is um you know it is kind of the typical structure in our context to have a monologue you know we call it a sermon but to have a public speaker, pastor, preacher, um, teacher, and uh, they speak. But what, what can ha- happen is instead of reading those verses and trying to wrestle with what they mean and how they apply to your life, you know, you're taught in the, you know, the art form is called homiletics preaching. Um, you're taught to hand those things to people. So uh, you know, to keep interest, to keep attention, to make sure that they walk away with something memorable and, you know, apply it, all of these different things, which are, are fine public speaking things, you know, that go on. But um, even in, in our last episode, we talked about that Corinthians verse where it says everyone comes with something to speak about, you know, and uh, there's a sense wherein you're fully engaged, you're operating on a level that causes you to be really thinking through this verse. If you are expected to have a conversation about it versus sit passively and listen to a monologue wherein someone essentially prepares something for you. Like we use this, one of the things I wanted to mention today, um, and I'll just say it now, is we use that phrase like you got to go somewhere where you're fed. And in fact, I hear this used in a way that determines, typically it is a person who considers themselves a mature Christian looking for a church, evaluating whether or not a church that they are visiting is healthy or mature itself. And so it has to be, if, if you can't get fed, if this is a place that doesn't feed their sheep, then, um, you know, then it's, it's critiqued for that. And, um, I would actually say that that's a horrible question to ask. Um, you know, go somewhere where someone challenges you to look for yourself, who forces you, um, maybe even ask more questions, Uh, I mean, even as I'm saying this, I don't know that we do this really well, um, but there's a a sense in which you should not be treating the church like a product to be consumed. And we mentioned that in the last podcast, but, you know, to be more specific, what ends up happening is that that's where we've created this production culture, where we want to make sure people come to our church instead of the one next door or down the street. And so we've tried to make sure that our production is really great. Our music is really great. Uh, I want great music and I want those things to be awesome. But because God has put in us a desire to use our gifts and to honor him through that and to be creative and no one who creates wants to make bad art, you know? And so I want us to do those things, but not for the purpose of saying, hey, this is so awesome. You're not going to want to miss this weekend. Um, that's never a good reason, I, in my opinion, to attend, you know, a a church or even honestly, even that phrase, you shouldn't be attending a church. You, you, you partner in it. Like you are a part of that church. And so, um, you know, fighting that tendency for us to, you know, treat the church as a product and then just go, as soon as you don't like that product, I'll go get a different one. Um, meaning I'll go to another church. Um, I, I don't know that it might be a good segue. I, we have a list in our, in our reinforced, uh, 
stuff that gives the, the training that gives what house churches are not. And there's a list of things. You want me to throw those out there really quick? Yeah. Do you have them? Yeah. It says this uh, house churches. Well, let me read what they are. This is our definition of what a house church is in our reinforced training. It says house churches represent CGNE as a scattered church meeting throughout the week in homes, coffee houses, parks, pubs, etc. They are comprised of 10 to 16 people for the purpose of implementing the three pillars of engagement into our daily lives. Often house churches are messy, dynamic, fun, risky, solemn, celebratory, and beautiful, just like a family. This is a family on a mission. House churches are not social clubs centered on just hanging out. They are not Bible studies centered on learning without doing. And I, I always have to <laughs> explain that one because they often do Bible studies. But what happens is um, you're a good small group if all you do is get together and study, but you're not a good house church, right? You're, you have to do all of the three things, that the, um, the pillars, com uh, community, devotion, and mission. And so uh, you're not just a Bible study. And uh, the next one says, you're not a social service group centered on your need to change the world. So with the, you know, we want to be about justice and social justice. That's a big part of us and us fighting for that being a, a, a gospel oriented thing that we do. Um, but you, we don't exist for that purpose necessarily, not in and of itself. Uh, the next one is counseling group. Uh, house churches are not counseling groups centered on just the needs of those in the group. House churches are not a church retention tool centered on closing the church's, it's in quotes, back door. And then the last is products to be consumed. Um, and so that's kind of how we have listed. This is, these are things that we do not want to become a part of who we are as a church, but it's hard. I mean, these are some things we've been trained, discipled and conditioned to overemphasize, I'll say, because all of those things can be a part of a house church. They just cannot be what they are focused or revolving around. Right. Right. I like how you made a distinction earlier about the difference between, and this was in the first episode, the difference between um, kind of the essence of church and expressions of the church and worship, where those are two different things. Sometimes we, I think we, it's easy for us to take an expression of that church and make that what church is and throw out everything else because they don't get it. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to share a, a quote actually from that book, Forgotten Ways, Mr. Alan Hirsch yeah. uh, said this, it seems that the template of this highly institutional version of Christianity is so deeply embedded in our collective psyche that we have inadvertently put it beyond the pale of prophetic critique. We have so div divinized, divinized, not demonized, divinized, divine. Divinized, yeah. Yeah. This mode of church through centuries of theolo theologizing about it, that we have actually confused it with the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. I found that extremely powerful in the way he was sharing that. Kind of like you said, we've been passed along certain expressions of the church. We've kind of been discipled in some of these rhythms and expressions of the church and if we are not careful at times, we can take these expressions of church and make it, this is what the kingdom is, um, such as you have to sing these types of worship songs. It has to be in this format uh, to where that's not the kingdom. That's, that's not church. That's maybe a certain creative expression. 
and you're a creative guy. So I'm glad you mentioned that, that, man, we are, I love saying we are creatively created creative because we are created by a creator. We are creatively yeah, created like creative. That. And so, you know, it, it's, it's a part of that image Imago day, the image of God to allow our creative juices to flow and create and want things to look good and nice. And, and, um, even to do things well. I mean, when God st stood back after he created and he said, Hey, this is good. He brought order to chaos. So, Hey, all y'all that are all out about organization and stuff. Hey, that's a part of the image of God that you're seeing. Right. And so I definitely think that even some of these, uh, done well type of expressions of, um, church and, and worship, like those things are good. Uh, we, we don't have to, to demonize those things and make them evil, but, mm -hmm. um, I think it, uh, we, we can make it more than what, what they are. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Am I ex explaining that well? Mm -hmm. And so we're coming short on time here. So kind of last couple of thoughts. Um, you had mentioned a little bit, Eric, that, um, some of, a lot of the expression and rhythms of what we see as church today with maybe the, the, um, liturgy and how it unfolds the the buildings the even the professionalism of the late or the professionalism of the pastor as opposed to the lady and everything came post constantine mm -hmm. um and you, you talked a little bit about that there was another quote i'd like to share it's by a guy named rodney stark from for the glory of god it's actually quoted in forgotten ways book he says, for far too long, historians have accepted the claim that the conversion of the emperor Constantine caused the triumph of Christianity. To the contrary, he destroyed its most attractive and dynamic aspects, turning a high-intensity grassroots movement into an arrogant institution controlled by an elite who often managed to be both brutal and lax. So he kind of goes in there. That's a little bit maybe harsh and sharp, but I think there's some... Um, some, some pretty maybe eye-opening things there when he talks about that in some of the ways that we talked about. It is sharp. And I am sometimes cautious um, not to overplay that. Although I, I've had seasons where I was, you know, I was very, I, I don't know, I don't know if it was disappointment, but uh, my critique of churches was so high. In fact, before we end, I kind of wanted to give like, why do we go to a Sunday gathering? Um, maybe lift that up because there is a tendency to, you know, over critique. Yeah. Um, but, and, and the words I probably would use um, now is, you know, Constantine institutionalized the church and, um, and then it was built upon from there. In fact, uh, there's a book called Pagan Christianity. Uh, I don't always recommend it because it can be so, so harsh in its critique of, of the church. But um, I, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. It helped me to um it's very it's it's footnoted throughout and gives lots of historical data um of the different contributions and so um but there but there is a sense where you know what the, nowadays you know we have microphones and I, I think i can't remember who i heard say this but you know what is what is the first thing that having a microphone in front of someone tell the rest of the audience that they can't talk he's there she is the designated speaker of the moment 
And so you are not supposed to talk. So even if, you know, now we try to do our, our interactive and engagement times uh, inside of our services. And I still feel like it's hard to get people to interact because uh, we, we've so trained them that this is the monologue time, right? We have so trained them um, that this is not an interactive moment. We are performing, for lack of a better term, uh, and I mean that more like a literal sense, not in a, um, you know, like in a, in a, like we're putting on a show type of thing, but, but in a real sense, um, the way we have created our Sunday gatherings, they look like concert venues. They look like, um, uh, or a theater venue, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, all of the, all of the chairs face forward. And um, it's not an interactive moment. It is a you sit passively. And uh, in case you didn't get that, I'm going to put microphones, um, you know, and I get the practical reason so people can hear and all that. But there's some some conditioning that takes place through that, that a lot of times we don't, you know, we don't tell. And then we require that person to have a master's of divinity. I love education. I love academia. But the requirement of that is certainly not something that is biblically mandated. And um and, and so that, that tells anyone who hasn't gone through that, this, I'm the pay professional, you know, don't try this at home. <laughs> We've used that joke a lot here. Uh, and, and if you're not careful, we have set up our structure in a way that has communicated very clearly, don't try to be the priesthood of all believers to our congregation. And so, um, and I think that most fully began, you know, in its, in its biggest jump forward with Constantine um, the emperor Constantine. Uh, and then, and then you have lots of other ones, um, you know, that have done Luther contributed to that pretty heavily Calvin, probably even more so and the reformers, um, Catholicism, you know, has a, has a heavy, uh, liturgical emphasis and, uh, some beautiful expressions there, but it yeah. does, you know, the, the level of clergy laity distinction there definitely works in opposition to the priesthood of all believers, uh, you know, which we would embrace a priesthood of all believers. So, yeah. um, but there's a lot, you know, yeah. that we have, we have done to communicate. This is not, this is an, an every, a, an ordinary everyday person should also believe that they are an ordained priest, pastor, uh, prophet. And I, and I would say actually they're an ordained, whatever gifting they are, you know, yeah. that, that God has given them. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, let's save um, the one piece yeah. that you were going to share for our next episode. Yeah, um, why do we gather? We can maybe talk about that in our, our next podcast. Why why do we gather on Sunday morning? Well, that's, that's kind of perfect. Uh, our next episode, we're going to talk about the purpose of the church. And uh, I think that would be a great segue into that. So uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in again. And we'll catch you on the next one. We appreciate you stopping by and spending some time with us today. Make sure to check out the previous episodes on Hub Podcast. If you're interested in information on Common Ground Northeast, check out cgnortheast.com. We'll catch you next time.